welcome to the Onsen and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. We'll bring you exclusive and original stories and interviews offering agenda-setting insight from inside the game from David and writers from across The Athletic. Coming up today, we'll look at 10 years of Sullivan and Gold at West Ham. We'll look at whether frustrations are growing at Manchester City and David will share uh, snippets from his weekly column. He'll open his notebook, which has some transfer lines. Rumour has it some listeners will be hoping you have Arsenal news. That's what they always hope. There is a little bit in there, but what I don't have is a notebook with me, as you can see. Our listeners can't. Oh, right. You've gone gone full on 21st century digital and you'll scroll through your phone, will you? Maybe just my head. Oh, your head. Okay, right. (laughs) Excellent. So what kind of things, if it's in your head, will you talk about later? Well, we'll discuss a little bit about um, Arsenal's pursuit of leaving Kazawa, um, a bit about William Saliba uh, and we'll talk about Manchester United, um, options around Bruno Fernandes or not and also a possible striker. So there's plenty to get our teeth stuck into. Okay, so 10 years of Golden Sullivan at West Ham to come. But let's start with Manchester City, the Athletic City writer Sam Lee with us. You wrote over the weekend that that Pep Guardiola has frustration with John Stones. If you go back to August, you wrote of it being a crucial season for Stones. So where are we at with him and with Guardiola? It's definitely a bit of a crucial stage of Stones' certainly City career, possibly football career as well, Premier League career. So yeah, to address those frustrations, obviously 2-2 at the weekend, Crystal Palace, it was a very frustrated Etihad Stadium. I mean, when the opposition goalkeeper starts time-wasting after about half an hour, when it's still nil-nil, you think this is going to wind people up. And it just went on from there. You know, City, they had one of those performances we've probably seen four or five times this season where they weren't really breaking down the deep defence. It was a little bit ponderous, conceded stupid goals. You know, that's all going to build up. Yeah, Guardiola in the touchline, it was... It was almost the, the main event, watching what he was up to during the game. He was on his haunches, as he often is. Again, at nil-nil, not quite happy with his team. That just grew and grew as the game went on, and Stones was more often than not on the end of it. Is he a lightning rod for Guardiola's frustration? Is he a lightning rod for the crowd's frustration, for those who don't go to the Etihad week in, week out? On Saturday, he was. Right. Because, I mean, let's be honest, even though City are miles behind Liverpool... Still second in the league, you know they've not fallen apart like previous champions have. So generally, there's been you know plenty to shout about this season. The performance at the weekend was kind of similar to some of the other frustrating ones. So you know frustrations were quick to come back to the fore. And yeah, Stones was definitely the biggest scapegoat, I would say, for the performance. He wasn't the only one. You know, he he wasn't the only one at fault for the for the frustrating equaliser at the end either. But he was just the one this weekend that stood out. And like we say. I've written about a situation in the past. Fans are now saying you know, he's been here for three and a half seasons at City. When is the real John Stones going to stand up? That kind of thing. 25 years old. What is his situation? And at the moment, you know, he's had a run in the side, or he's had the opportunity to have a run in the side with Imeric Laporte injured. That was four or five months ago. Laporte's going to be back in the next 10 days, two weeks. Stones has not staked his claim. He's not nailed down a place in the side. And now he's, he's injured again. So these are really you know, big questions about Stones. And the interesting thing beyond the summer is well, the only thing that really stands in his way at the moment is the fact he's English and so you need English players, which doesn't really say a lot for him. Would you say within the club, not just Guardiola, but the, the general feeling around the place is that he should be in a better place than he is at the moment? He should, he should be a more complete footballer than he is. 
I'm not sure about should, but I think that was certainly the hope. Right, okay. Um, and, and it's interesting, again, whenever Guardiola speaks about Stones, with some players, it's always, oh, no, you know, we've got no doubts about that, or he's very important for us. Whenever he's spoken about Stones recently, and including in, in pre-season, even after, you know, that mistake against Holland when he was playing for England, when, you know, De Bruyne defended him and said, if he was playing for City, you wouldn't have had that. Even then, Guardiola was like, yeah, you know, it's it's up to him. We need him to to focus a bit more. We need him to be a bit more consistent. All these kind of things, and that's why you know, seven or eight months down the line, we're not seeing that. We are now seeing Guardiola and other people in the club thinking, I'm not quite sure where we're up to with with Stones at the moment, and especially with the physical problems that aren't helping him. It, it, it is. Yeah, it's a bit of a crossroads for him. He was linked with Arsenal, wasn't he, last week? Is that two and two together and coming up with five just because Arteta's moved there? Well, Stones and Arteta are represented by the same agent, so I think that may have played a part for some people, I'm not sure. Uh, Arteta put the story down straight away. Um, It's not inconceivable because Arsenal need a centre-back. I think it is inconceivable this January, but long-term, who knows? It's not inconceivable for anyone if they make the right offer. And and I suppose City would entertain it if they had adequate resources in that area at that point in time. Stones has had some issues off the pitch. He's had some issues on the pitch, as Sam mentions, with his form and fitness. I remember being at his first match and the anxiety around the Etihad Stadium a few years ago when he was trying to bring the ball out the back, this this uh, ball-playing centre-half who'd come in from Everton. I'm not sure he's progressed anywhere near what City, their fans, or maybe even Stones himself would have hoped. He's been in, in and out of form and selection for England as well. And I wonder if this is reaching a breaking point. Either Either it clicks or he goes, Sam. Yeah, quite possibly. The thing is, like like you said there about Arsenal and their supposed interest in Stones and City letting him go if they had the resources elsewhere, the thing is they don't. You know, it's quite likely that Nicolas Otamendi is going to go and they planned for him to leave last summer, but he didn't in the end and here he is still. They've got the other side of it with the homegrown quota. City don't have an awful lot of homegrown players at the moment. If they were to sign, for example, Ben Chilwell and James Madison and Jack Grealish, I mean, that's never going to happen, but if they were to boost that quota elsewhere and they were to get rid of Otamendi and bring in at least one centre-back or maybe go with Eric Garcia, then you could see it happening. But it's very difficult at the moment, and it might be that the cards fall in Stones' favour yeah. and he gets one more season. And then you know, maybe he doesn't have the fitness problems, maybe he clears his head a bit because, yeah, he's had off-field problems. You know, he, he split up with his with his wife, who he had a child with, which is, you know, there's no secret, and I don't think it's any secret that that's affected him either. You know, maybe he does get one more season. Which is understandable. Of course well. it is, yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Totally. And, and, and we, don't take, we don't take football fans, and I would include all of us in that, yep. don't take the personalised of footballers into account enough when we analyse their performances, yeah, in uh, my opinion. No, no, you're absolutely right. And we always say this, oh, they're humans like everyone else, but that's become a cliche. But it's, it's absolutely true. Like, if anybody else was going through relationship problems or anything like that, financial problems, whatever, you're not, you wouldn't be performing in that kind of pressure cooker. That is an element of it with Stones. He's got, he has got fantastic ability. I think, obviously, now, the thing is, when you mentioned on his debut for City, the fans are anxious. It's a new club now. It's a different club. They're, they're willing for people to yeah. bring the ball out from the back. So if he can get sorted, he's still at the ideal place for him. But it, it's just that if. And it's a huge summer. He goes to the Euros with England all being well, and that will be a test of him. Many of those matches will be in front of home crowds. This situation we're talking about, I've met John Stones quite a lot through through work and I find him to be a very nice bloke, very well spoken, very deep thinking. Mm. He cares a hell of a lot about what he's doing. Almost too much, I think. Yeah, but possibly. He's, he's an intense character. Um, very uh, demanding on himself, basically. That, it, I think that's what it is. Extremely high standards and I, I really hope he gets it together. 
Mind you, John Stones and David Luiz's central defensive partnership oh. would be fun, wouldn't it? Uh, oh, goodness me, there'll be some entertainment there. You mentioned Eric Garcia there, so one of the yeah. young centre-halves coming through at City. You had an exclusive chat with him. The interview's fantastic. It's on the, on the Athletic, obviously. He's a really interesting kid, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, he's, he's 19 years old, but he's he's 19 years old in like two weeks, you know. And when he made these performances for City over over Christmas, he was 18 years old. You think there's not a lot of 18-year-old centre-backs in Premier League history. There's been a few that have made like, debuts younger than him, mm. but not many. It's a very rare thing. Managers traditionally haven't given opportunities to young players in the middle of the pitch it's normally a, put yeah. them out on the fringes where go if, play, if something go goes wrong right, go and play right back exactly go and play right back or yeah. go and play on the wing yeah. or something just don't you know if you make a mistake it's not going to be crucial but Guardiola when he does trust these young players he's not afraid to put them in at the deep end and Garcia surely could cope and yeah he's very very mature like extremely mature I spoke to him after he made his first team debut at Leicester over a year ago when he was 17 and he spent the game shouting at Otamendi and Carl Walker to you know to shuffle up or be in position and this kind of thing. I spoke to him after. I was like, "How how do you do that as a seventeen year old?" And he was, like, "Oh well, I need to just help the team, so I don't mind telling." I was, "Yeah, but <laughs> fine, but it's that's not normal. That is not normal for a seventeen year old to even realise and then to go and do." I, he is he is very mature. He is he does have a lot of what it takes. I think some people at City, not around the first team, but you know in the academy, they think naturally as you would because these are you know these are normal people like us maybe they think maybe he's a bit more suited to the Spanish league because he's just under six foot which isn't especially tall for a centre back although in the interview he did point out that you know Cannavaro and Poyol and Mascherano they've did it it's a fair play to him Um, not especially quick but again he didn't necessarily address that but he does say he wants you know one of his strengths is reading the game and anticipating the danger. He's very good at that Um, and as long as um, Guardiola's at City as long as City play this kind of football even after Guardiola's gone. I do see, you know, an opportunity for him. And he's doing his coaching badges already. Yeah, yeah. At, at nine, well, not yet nineteen. So nineteen two. No, weeks. no, no. Sorry, oh, he, he is, is nineteen. He is 19, he's nineteen, not two weeks right, old. Yeah, right. But yeah, but the, the, mad, the mad thing is, I asked him again. Think because I knew he'd been doing them for like about a month or so, and I asked him. You know, when did he get this idea? And he said, three or four years ago, I thought I want to be a coach. So three or four years ago, it would have been like 14. Well, yeah. Um, still at Barcelona, hadn't have even moved. And he's still thinking, oh, maybe I'd love to be a coach one day, which is like, it's just a sign of how incredible this maturity is, what his, what his frame of mind is like. Um, the coaching badges he's doing, there's two basic ones. There's two basic ones that you need to get onto the ladder. They're not especially difficult. I mean, I imagine we would probably struggle to start off. Well, speak for um, yourself. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah. How rude. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, I'm just kind of assuming that we haven't quite got the same footballing yeah, I think, brain I think as the, to the me, You're, probably, you're, you're right. probably safe in that assumption, um, really. But yeah, but so but it's the basic ones. And then once you do that, you're onto your way for B, which yeah. is, you know, the more recognised yeah. one. And then it's A and then the pro licence. And that's what that's the, the passage he wants to go through. Um, th- this is, There is a brand new Manchester City podcast, which there you're is. part of. This isn't the Manchester City podcast, but just one final one on this, then we'll move on to West Ham. Just talking about City centre halves, and you were talking about you know their need for English players as well. All the attention, national media wise, is on Phil Foden, mm. but they do have an English centre half who is also seventeen, don't they? Who I think they have high hopes for. Who I think is also from Stockport, isn't he? In, yeah, yeah. In Taylor Harwood Bellis, yeah, yeah. Um, well. But that's yeah, one. Yeah. I mean, that he must be one. Well, he, yeah, again, he surely wouldn't have played if it hadn't been the cup. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it's one of those where he's he's Ill, he's a year younger than Garcia in his development as well. Um, he's more of an English style centre back than you know the the Barcelona type that that Garcia is. Um, yeah, I think he showed a bit of 
that um, inexperience, I guess, against Port Vale mm. when Pope got in front of him and scored the goal. He then went to Scunthorpe, which is that kind of famous story now where you know he had a go at the striker and he was like, I earn more money than yeah. you and that kind of thing, which is a bit stupid, but at the end of the day, you're 17, you're learning your craft. And being a centre-back, your craft isn't tackles and headers. It's saying stuff to the striker, putting them off. I mean, I guess you're learning what you can and can't say. And I'm sure people have said that before, and the striker hasn't gone to the media about it. You yeah. know, trial and error, fair enough. Stupid thing to do, but not the end of the world. But I just think, I don't know, some people around the situation have said to me, well, I think that might have set him back a bit. The Port Vale thing, the Scunthorpe thing. You know, maybe he won't. You know, maybe next time when it's the FA Cup, obviously... Uh, next weekend against Fulham, maybe that'll be Garcia. And we'll, we'll see Taylor Hardwood-Bellis again, maybe next season. And we've also spoken about the centre-halves that they may be looking for towards the summer. Yeah. So, some high-profile names, some less high-profile names, others they've been watching. So that suggests it's an area they might be looking to recruit in rather yeah, than exactly, develop immediately. Exactly. But, and I don't know if your information is the same as this, Sam, it seems more and more likely now that City are going to close the window without any signings. This summer, uh, sorry, this this, 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 this month, of course. Yeah. yeah, I think that that is how it's been all along. They yeah. they were desperately looking for a centre back, but even so, even if they had found somebody as good as Laporte, let's say, given they signed him in January a couple of years ago, they would if he was a foreign player, they would need to sell a foreign player. Yeah. and like I said, they couldn't get rid of Otamendi in the summer. How are they going to find somebody to do it now? You know, it was always going to be very difficult. Would so that, they tried, but they, they would that have included Nathan Ake? Ake would have been homegrown. Okay. Um, so that wouldn't have been a problem. Okay, more on him later. You love you love talking about Nathan Ake, don't you? I think I think he may be your favourite player to talk about in this transfer window. Mm, he's up there. Yeah, let's yeah. see how the next couple of weeks go. Okay, <laughs> uh, are West Ham interested in Nathan Ake? No, they're not to my knowledge. Okay. No, I was but just the, trying the, to find a bridge between talking about Nathan Ake and going into the next bit. Well, while we're on him, um, there's been some interest in him from Everton. Um, right. I don't think it's more than that. And increasingly, it looks like he'll be staying at, at Bournemouth. I understand that Chelsea are not interested in him. Frank Lampard does not feel he's the right player to bring back to the club. He's not quite convinced about his size, is what I've been mm. told. He prefers more sort of bigger, physical, uh, more robust central defend more powerful central defenders the likes of Rudiger the likes of Tamori and I think Chelsea's interest in Diop talking of West Ham is credible the problem is the price will be extremely high so it's unlikely uh, to be the case I think Arsenal would have uh, are fans of somebody like Ake but they've not got that sort of money to spend this this January so despite all of my and many other people's talk about Ake it looks like he'll be staying at Bournemouth I said you do like Ake as well I couldn't tell you if they were ready to Mm. You know, send a fax with a fifty million bid on it They've now or in him. the summer, but they do like him. Let's talk West Ham then. Ten years since Sullivan and Gold took over at the club, how yeah. much has really changed in that time? There, let's speak to the Athletics West Ham reporter, Roshane Thomas. Uh, they've come out, haven't they, uh, Sullivan and Gold, with this statement saying to explain really exactly what they've done in the decade yeah. that they have been uh, in charge of West Ham. But if you actually yeah. look on the field. They were in 16th place in the Premier League 10 years ago when they took over. And at the time of recording this, they're in 16th. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it. Not much has changed, unfortunately. <laughs> Thanks and very much for joining us. Bye. No, yeah. go on. And <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, like, I was just looking over like some of the signings over the past 10 years. And I feel like the biggest problem stems from the fact the board have hardly invested when it comes to like, defence. Apart from Issa Diop, the board haven't really invested when it comes to like signing the right back. Sign the central defender, sign the left back. It's mainly been like cheap signings. In your piece, you said Sullivan himself said the club were in a mess financially when they took over. They had all the millions that they owed to Sheffield United over the Carlos Tevez 
issue. So yeah. if they were in a mess financially when they took over, the biggest positive is surely that they're not in a financial mess now. Yeah, that is a positive in fairness to the board that you know the club is, is stable, much stable compared to when like the likes of like uh, Edgar Magnusson was chairman of the club. So we can say that as a positive when you look back over their past ten years, because even with that, that was that was crazy the whole Tevez Mascherano scenario because the Premier League commission uh, imposed a five point five million fine of them, and then when they went to court, Sheffield United want, wanted the best part of forty million. I mean, in the end, they got 20 million. And West Ham didn't stop paying until I think it was 2013. The fans that protested and the fans who have a problem with Gold and Sullivan, is their main issue, do you think, that the club doesn't appear to have, well, they would say, doesn't appear to have a set strategy? You know, if I look at Manchester City over under their new owners, and there are many similarities, I suppose, new owners, although with more money, and the the, the stadium that they moved into, they had a they had a set strategy that they stuck to. Have West Ham yeah. been a bit hit and miss? Very much so, very much so. You only have to look at this window. I mean, we signed Darren Randolph, who had like an injury, hence why his medical took so long. So it made not sign the injured goalkeeper to replace a goalkeeper who was already injured. Most people who are protesting say we desperately need a director of football. And when uh, Mario Husillos departed, Steve Rowley, formerly of Arsenal, was linked to the job. But it seems like the club want to wait until the end of the season to get a director of football in because most of the signings been through uh, David Sullivan. Stadium move hasn't gone down well. There hasn't been many great signings. The likes of uh, Sebastian Haller hasn't been great. Anderson was good last season, but he's drifted off this season. Roshane, we mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago, but and 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 it's not a sort of current criticism. But I was speaking to people who. Uh, were involved or went into West Ham a little bit, spent time there around the time of Moyes' first spell and said yeah. it was an absolute shambles inside the club. Um, yeah. we, we put it in the piece that we worked on together that um, yeah. scouting files were, were in physical form and all over the place. Very little was digital. There weren't permanent staff in the right positions. A couple of people said to me it's one of the most shambolic operations they had ever seen in their footballing careers at that yeah. point in time. So it's, it's not a criticism I'm raising at West yeah. Ham at this moment in time. It doesn't seem to me that there's a lack of sort of will or ambition from the owners yeah. it's just about expertise and as you say yeah. that's why many of the fans want a, a top sporting director to bring this to bring to and come you know, in. when i was at when i was at a protest right i feel like a lot of the resentment stems towards uh karen brady because between the three between uh brady sullivan and gold is karen who tends to have more of um she tends to engage with the media more especially we consider her column there, there seems to me enough. to be some similarities on a, on a different level, of, obviously, to Manchester United. All the talk yeah. in the world is fine, but it's yeah. action. And it yeah. seems that both of them could do with a proper modern footballing yeah. structure and uh, some other clubs for that matter as well. And you know what? I read, I read uh, uh, Danny Taylor's column this morning and he's mentioned that, you know, one of the reasons why he thinks Edward was still at the club is because he gets that thrill from like closing deals. And I reckon the same applies to David Sullivan. He probably gets the thrill of like still being the man to like bring the right personnel in. Hence why there hasn't been like an immediate replacement for Mario Husillos. And when you're the man with the power, that thrill is hard to let go of. Do you think players will come in in this transfer window with David Moyes now there? Or do you think because there isn't a director of football and you've talked to, you know, and David's mentioned what it might have been like a couple of years ago behind the scenes, that they might, yeah. they might keep their powder dry till the summer? I feel like they'll try and do most of their uh, activity in the summer, but I mean, 
it's going to be tough. I've been seeing like Joe Allen's been linked, and I mean, with all due respect to Joe Allen, he's struggling at Stoke City. Hasn't really worked out for him since he left Liverpool. A loan offer from Ross Barkley was turned down. I mean, like, as I mentioned before, they signed an injured goalkeeper. Joe Allen, did you say? <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe Allen. Joe Allen. Yeah, Joe Allen's been linked with a move to West Ham. No, Joe Allen has been a good player in his time. As you say, you know, whether he's pulled up trees at Stoke in, in recent times, I haven't seen enough of Stoke to, to really know. But knowing how football fans work, if West Ham's only transfer business this, this January was to bring Joe Allen in from Stoke, there'd be an, that's not going to help the mood around the place amongst the fans, is it? No chance. Absolutely no. There'll probably be another protest. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> There'll be another protest. That's how bad it is. I mean, like I said, he's struggling. I mean, Stoke City are towards the end of the championship. Yeah. I mean, it's someone struggling. How are they going to like immediately come in and do all uh, West Ham, especially considering West Ham are trying to stay in the league? Rashad. So, that's not the right person to get in, in my Th- opinion. Thank you very much, Rashad Thomas, the Athletic's Thanks, West Rashane. Ham reporter. Uh, if you go on to the Athletic, uh, you can still read Rashad's great story about the West Ham player who landed his sports car in someone's living room whilst dressed as a snowman uh, over Christmas. You probably know who it is. If you don't, you need to go on to the Athletic to find out who it is. Talk about uh, it feeling like a period of change at West Ham. Daniel Taylor's written it on the Athletic about Manchester United. For all City's stability in recent years, Sam, do you get a sense that there's a period of transition coming here, that, 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 and this isn't a Guardiola question, but mm. that they're end of one cycle with some players and about to start a new one? Yeah, well, I mean, to an extent, everything's a Guardiola question about Man City. Well, is, yeah, is, yeah. Um, I, I don't think he's going to leave at the end of this season, but when he does, whether it's um, the end of next or if he signs a new contract or whenever, there, there is going to be a massive period of adjustment because I suppose some of the obvious questions to ask are because I, I, I was... a made aware of towards the end of last season when City were going for four trophies Guardiola was at dinner for Ansoriano was there and it was, what would you do if you win all four and Guardiola was like oh, I'll leave and what else is there to do and Soriano was like yeah so would I so you think this is the Guardiola era we're in and when that finishes no matter how it finishes you wonder if maybe Soriano or Bagheeristan or whoever would go I, you know our job here is done and maybe they would maybe they would move on as well but it's not just you know high profile people like that you know, all like so many of the support staff obviously obviously the coaching staff is huge but it is it is huge they would they would go um the support staff the player liaison officers even like the kind of roles within clubs that you don't realize exist in it the chefs nutritionists yeah. they're all you know guardiola people or no, not all of the chefs but you know some of them are the nutritionist is and there would be a big change there you know you think of managers coming in and bringing in their coaching staff it's like no manager in the world has got an army of people quite like Pep, surely. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Talking about, you know, 10 years of ownership, it's, I think it's pretty much common knowledge now that City's owners, they always wanted Guardiola. I believe they always wanted Messi as well. They're, they're not going to get Messi, but they got Pep. And you just wonder what the next 10 years is going to look like, how much, how much planning they've done. I'm not suggesting for a minute they're going to pull the money out and go home. Absolutely not. But you just wonder how much thought they've put mm. into it because they spent so long getting Guardiola they've you know they've reaped the fruits of that recently but after that it'd be interesting to see what the plan is and who who they they go for next do they go is there anyone else they want quite as much or do they just become kind of almost a bit like Manchester United they just become another football club where they just go for who's the best manager at the time and who's the manager who, who looks best for us which may or may not work out but compared to some of their rivals my goodness oh, they're gotcha. in a great p- position structurally 
Yeah, it won't be like in that sense. It won't be like United, of course, because there is a huge football structure. We talked about that with Rochelle. There's a fantastic football structure in place there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure Manchester United always go for the best manager available. Says he with cynicism and world weariness. If you go onto the Athletic, uh, you can see various articles on City's rise. Daniel Taylor's interviewed Gary Cook, who was the chief exec. You've contributed haven't you, to the uh, infamous Tevez Welcome yeah. to Manchester poster piece. A final one before you leave is because you're going to go and record the the brand new Manchester City podcast yes. on the Athletic Wild with us. Who's doing that with you? David Mooney, the well-known host of the Blue Moon podcast. He's been doing it for years. Cool. Safe hands. That's not the final. That's not the final one. Who's doing the podcast with you. The final one is, we're about to start talking about transfers. Manchester United and Bruno Fernandes will probably come up in here, there'll be Arsenal oh, yeah. in there, there'll be Tottenham in there. What's quite interesting is at this stage, finding out where the messages are coming from, what one club is briefing, what another club is briefing, what the agent wants you to know. Um, a City quite tight on what, on what they brief you transfer-wise, because very rarely do a whole load of spurious rumours come out about City, um, they're very. I'll say what they're very good at is if they've been linked a lot with a player abroad. Sometimes in the UK, but normally it's abroad because there's a sheer weight of stories. And if you were to read them, you think, "Oh, this must be happening." Yeah, they'll get to a point where they think we're being used by an agent here. We don't like it, and they'll tell journalists, there's, "Don't waste your time with it." Right. And then obviously, if the journalists want to go and write an article with that or tweet it out, whatever. But that's when City will become involved. It's it's always difficult for all press officers, I think, because if you go to a, you know, if I were to speak to the press officer every time there was a link and they said no, 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 the one time maybe they wouldn't even reply, I'd think, oh, what's in with this? So there's a yeah. there's the difficulty there where they can't comment on everything. But yeah, I think it does get to the stage where if you think I don't, I don't know why the Carl Walker's ones come into my head, but I remember a couple of years ago there was just a Friday afternoon and. It, you know, all the all the main outlets in the UK were saying Carl Walker's happening. There's no way they would deny that. But if you were to ask them about a month in advance, it would be, oh, you know, we're getting linked with a lot of players. We can't comment on everyone. This, this kind of stuff, which you can you can understand really. And is that partly why? Game. Yeah, and is that partly why we rarely see long-running sagas, summer-long um, reports around City and players in the uh, same way we do with clubs like United, Arsenal, and others? Well, it depends actually, because. Initially, I thought there summer long saga that was Alexis Sanchez in 2017. Yeah, but I was I was writing that all summer. It came out first in Chile, and I remember April going, "Yeah, they want this guy." And all the stuff coming out of Arsenal was, "Oh no, we want him to sign a new contract. He's not going to go anywhere." But he would have gone to City that summer if it weren't on the last day. And I think Thomas Lamar spoke about this recently, yep. like yesterday, in fact. He said he rejected the chance to go to Arsenal because he wasn't quite sure and he was hoping, even on the last day of that transfer market, that Liverpool would come in. So that's another confirmation that if Arsenal had bought Lamar, Alexis Sanchez would have gone there. But that is a saga you get going on. But yeah, you're right, City didn't comment on that the whole way through. Mm. Like there, that City's interest in Alexis Sanchez wasn't all over the newspapers, I think, because when, when people would go and ask City about that, it was very much a, oh, yeah, you know, we, we were linked with a lot of players, that kind of thing. So, but, yeah, perhaps. Perhaps that's why there's not so many sagas. Yeah, that's a, that was exactly the point. They they don't get dragged into being linked with the same player for three different transfer windows without ever actually, <laughs> ever actually signing them. Uh, Sam, thank you. We'll let you go and record the Cheers, new, uh, the new City luck. podcast. Thanks, uh, why Always Us? That's the new Manchester City one, part of a whole uh, range of athletic podcasts that are dropping uh, this week. Nine new ones in total. Uh, Manchester United get one as well. 
as Manchester City. There's also uh, football cliches, which sees Adam Hurry and Caroline Barker explore the glorious and unique language of football, the words, the phrases, the mannerisms, and, of course, the cliches. No cliches here. Sorry, Never. just to pop back in. I, Yo, can't, well, I, I can't wait to see how that sounds. Right. I, I can't wait to hear how that sounds. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> the Football Cliches podcast, that is the first one I'm going to be I, Yeah, I am looking forward to it. Off again he, to is, he is, uh, Caroline's great, and Adam is very funny on Twitter, so I, I am looking forward to that one. Right, let's open your um, transfer notebook. Metaphorically speaking. Yeah, or your transfer phone, or just your transfer brain, however you, however you want to do it. You, t- you pick a player you want to start with and tell me about them. I think Christoph Piontek is one that's worth talking about. Manchester United obviously um, confirmed the serious injury that Marcus Rashford has after the Liverpool game. I managed to get some information that prior to that, so within the last couple of weeks, around the time that Tottenham were very heavily linked with Piontek, there was actually contact from Manchester United to AC Milan to establish the status of that situation at Spurs and with other clubs and also Less register their interest, more asked to be kept abreast of what's going on with Piontek. So I think Manchester United have an element of um, interest there. He is also, as we know, because it was widely reported, being tracked by Spurs, by Aston Villa. Fiorentina is one in Italy who would be keen on him, even though they've signed a forward recently, as Aston Villa are in the process of doing as well. Uh, and also Newcastle. With Newcastle, they were informed that Piontek wouldn't be keen, and so that's why that one ca- called. Um, the main problem being that AC Milan either want to sell him for a fee in the region of €35 million, Euros, um, or if they're to loan him, there would need to be an option to buy. And within that option, there would need to be some favourable conditions that can turn that option into an obligation. So Milan essentially know they're getting the money. So with Aston Villa, for example, if they were to loan him with an option to buy, that option would, for example, be that if they stay in the Premier League, they have to buy him. If they go down, they don't. And then Milan would take him back and he would have a good Euros or whatever and they'd try and sell him anyway. Spurs were interested in a swap deal and uh, it's my understanding that that swap deal, straight swap that Daniel Levy was keen on, uh, would have involved Juan Foyth and Victor Wanyama um, and Milan rejected that. They then explored the loan option Spurs, but that goes back to, to the previous point. So I think that's really one to watch develop in the last couple of weeks of the transfer window, Christoph Piontek. That sort of links into Manchester United a bit because we know the Bruno Fernandes situation is ongoing. I'm not going to go over all of that one again because it's out there in the wider media. But I think Manchester United would raise their their offer a little bit, but it would require Lisbon to come down significantly. If United don't get Piontek, I think they'll look to bring in a central midfielder from their existing list or options on loan. And the Rashford one uh, means they would be open to loaning a striker this transfer window as well. A loan deal's quite easy to do in a January transfer window. Well, as we've talked about on this podcast, I think they're going to be the most likely scenario for many clubs this window. Clubs who have players that clubs in the Premier League want on a permanent basis are asking for huge money for them. It's a very messy time. There's limited time. The summer is preferred by all clubs to do deals pretty much. There's Euros to come as well. So there's indecision with clubs letting players go. If that player is going to have a great Euros, they could sell him for a much bigger fee in the summer, etc. So loans are always going to be more likely and especially with the race against time that everybody's in. 
you also had in your in your column, which is more from Laurie Whitwell, this, but they're linked with Bellingham, the kid at Birmingham as well, at Manchester United. But that won't be this transfer window. He's been the target for a number of clubs. He's extremely highly rated. The figure of, what, 25 million is seems incredible. Uh, what Laurie's reporting is that United's interest sort of stepped up when Mike Phelan went to watch him. But I don't know much more on that. OK, let's look at the Arsenal ones then. And let's start with uh, Levin Kouazza. Yeah, Kawaza is an interesting one, which we reported last week on The Athletic that Arsenal were in advanced talks to sign him. There's a bit of confusion and, and people asking me, how does that square with Leonardo, the sporting director at PSG, coming out and saying there have been no talks with us for him? Well, we never reported that there had been talks with Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, we re- just reported they were in advanced talks. The reason being that he's a free agent in the summer, so he's in the last six months of his contract, and therefore under Bosman rules, you talk directly to the player. Uh, And those negotiations are up to Arsenal and and the player's representatives to sort out, and then presumably uh, you would then go and try and strike a deal with Paris Saint-Germain, which they claim hasn't happened yet. It clearly hasn't happened because he's not on his way in, and um, just Arsenal's luck, he's come back into favour in starting the last two games for Paris Saint-Germain. So it's really unclear if that one's going to be done in this window maybe something for the summer and yeah it's quite a I think it's probably quite a tense situation there tense what tense between Kazawa and Paris Saint-Germain tense between Arsenal and Paris Saint-Germain tense between all of them involved with so many of these deals even outside of the last six months we all know that clubs buying clubs sort of get an impression if if a player would come before actually doing the deal with the club it's not allowed but there are ways of, of finding out and you can do that freely within the last six months when, when you're making a foreign signing. So I think there would be a feeling from Arsenal's perspective that they could strike a deal with Kazawa, but you're in a position of having to then make sure that you can do it with Paris Saint-Germain and I don't think that's going to be easy. OK, uh, you also, speaking of Arsenal and Arsenal players, Saliba? Yep, that's another one that uh, might interest people. Uh, Saliba has been back again with Arsenal doing some recovery work from another injury and undergoing testing and assessment. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that his year on loan back at St Etienne uh, has not been smooth. There's a little bit of dissatisfaction over his physical condition, I think. You know, some have suggested to me that Arsenal would like to keep him at the club for the remainder of the season and so that he's ready to go for the new campaign in, in perfect shape. Any hope of Arsenal getting him available to play this season is, we think, unlikely because they would have to probably strike a deal to actually effectively sign him and, and break the one-year loan. But yeah, he has been back at Arsenal again and um, and they're clearly keeping a very close eye on him. Which actually makes sense, really. I mean, if you change your manager and your new manager comes in and you've got these players out on loan and you're thinking about what you want to do for next season and planning ahead, the more of these players that you can get in see... It's not even sometimes about seeing them in action, is it? About seeing them in training, seeing how they interact on a daily basis, see how they behave. That That's what Arteta w- will want to do with a lot of these players who are out on loan. Absolutely. As he did with Enketia. Absolutely. And if you think uh, Arsenal paid €30 million, Euros, £27 million pounds, or committed that much for Saliba, and to then send him back out on loan, which was deemed the right decision, it was also the wish that Saliba expressed that he wanted. That was the key thing, that he wanted to go back and continue his development. He'd only played, what, 16 appearances for St Etienne's first team at the time of the transfer. Uh, 
on his trips back, and he's made quite a few of them now, there have been concerns about certain physical elements of him, like his groin strength. That was from a while ago. I don't know what the exact nature of the current issue is. But that's a lot of money to commit and then have somebody else be in charge of his development over that year. Similarly, Callum Chambers has been straight back in to do his rehabilitation from the the, the knee operation that he's undergone. So these players are around the environment, the people, the personnel. And, you know, clearly Arsenal have already got half an eye on next season. Just to come full circle, because even though I've said goodbye to you three times, Sam, you're still sitting here, so I might, I might as well ask you this Just question. Loves it. I know, you can't... Behind you, the curtain, you, yeah. You, you <laughs> Telling people how it when, works. When... Uh, when when Saliba costs Arsenal thirty million euros, just yeah. to come full circle and back to John Stones, City would probably get their money back on John Stones with within with within five million or so, wouldn't they? Uh, they yeah. They'd be a market if they went 40, 40, 45 million for John Stones. Somebody, I, somebody Premier League would buy him surely. Do you not yeah. think? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking more thirty to forty. Right. It depends because, like, if it's right now, you know, the 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 view inside. Premier League boardrooms isn't necessarily different to the view in the media a lot of the times mm. and there's going to be clubs thinking oh we, we could get a player there but even Arteta at Arsenal he might be thinking well we know what he can do but the problems he's got if Pep couldn't get him out yeah, I know yeah, Arteta's yeah. not going to be thinking well I'm not as good as Pep in those yeah. but you know he might be thinking well I know what his problems are I, I don't know it, it, I think it depends on how he ends the season how he finishes the Euros if for, if for example worst case scenario for Stones he doesn't get back in the City team in the end of the season, which he hasn't done in his, any of his three seasons so far. He's never finished a season with City. And if he has a bad Euros or doesn't play, then I think you might be looking at clubs might be thinking, well, City aren't in a position to be asking for much more than 35. If he does all right and City are like, you know, make it available through the through part, third parties and all of that, oh, John Stones might be available. Maybe you'll be talking 40-45. But it, I don't know, it's in the market, yeah, but also just in kind of the court of public opinion, he's, he hasn't got necessarily... High stakes at the moment, you know. Saliba was a, a young, a young player mm. with a lot of clubs. I remember City were linked with him, so a lot of clubs were there. You'd, you'd pay that for a young player for an investment, but you know, Stones is at a different part of his career. Just flog him to an Italian club. They're taking, they're taking yeah, all sorts exactly, of players. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Chris Warren is looking all right as well. Change, exactly. change of environment. Exactly. That's all you need. Exactly. Into, into Premier League. The Transfer Daily podcast is there every day. Uh, it's on our feed, um, and of course, there are nine new podcasts all dropping this week uh, via The Athletic including that Football Clichés one uh, and shows for both Manchester clubs uh, don't forget to subscribe to The Athletic you can read in full great articles from uh, David, Rochelle, Sam and many more and by listening to us you can get a 40% discount on subscription just go to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman uh, plenty more transfer news next week then, yes? Yeah, definitely. And I won't say ciao this week. No, don't. That's you what got, people some... do in transfer world. No, they don't. Okay. They don't. Have you had some stick for that? A little bit. Good, excellent. Just say bye. Bye. <laughs>